Today on Your Money, Your Wealth podcast number 367, what exactly are dollar cost averaging and reverse dollar cost averaging? Joe and Big Al explain as they answer questions about paying Medicare premiums with HSA funds and ETFs versus mutual funds when dollar cost averaging into small cap value funds. Plus, why would you want to reduce the stock allocation in your emergency fund? And should a stable value fund be part of your portfolio? Is it possible to re-identify an inherited IRA as a spousal IRA to change the RMD calculation? Is the Section 162 Executive Bonus Plan just whole life insurance? And finally, Joe's past comes back to haunt him with nine cats, a neurotic beagle, and 200 IRAs. Visit YourMoneyYourWealth.com and click Ask Joe and Al on air to send in your money questions, comments, and bizarre stories as an email or a voice message. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Uh, we got Hello, I am YW Team. Uh, Jim from Santa Cruz calling. Uh, we haven't talked in a while. Jim, I don't think we've ever spoken. <laughs> he <laughs> hears you. You, you read his questions. Yeah. I feel like we have a connection. Yeah, though. I do too. He does too. Yeah. He's like listening, driving his Honda CRV right now. And he's like, see, we are talking. We yeah. haven't talked. Right. So I write in and then like four weeks later. <laughs> we talk. We talk. Yeah. Joe says my words and then he answers it. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I'm still driving the 21 Honda CRV. But not if I've been drinking my Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. I still don't have a pet, but I'm still dodging a metric ton of four-legged critters on the steps at Seacliff Beach. I'm also still helping my friends Jack and Diane, who have a couple of new questions as they prepare for their retirement in 2025. Okay. On the day she retires, Diane will have $40,000 in a health savings account. The money is invested in an S&P 500 index fund. Once enrolled in Medicare, she plans to withdraw an amount equal to her Medicare Part B and D premiums each month as a way to get tax-free income. This seems like a reverse method of dollar cost averaging. What are your thoughts on this? Does dollar cost averaging work on the way down? No. Reverse dollar cost (laughs) averaging is very, very bad, Jim. Uh, so I'll get into that in a second. I don't okay. know what he's referring to there. He's going to take money out of the S&P 500 fund to pay for premiums. And he's considering that reverse dollar cost averaging. It's reverse dollar cost averaging if the market goes down. Well, I think what he's saying is he wants to pay those premiums from the health savings account. That's, is that what he's saying? Well, he, well it, regardless, he's taking distributions from an account sure, to pay sure. for something. I, I would say, yeah, reverse dollar co- cost averaging is terrible if, when the market's going down. So that just means you're taking re- the normal dollar cost averaging is you're investing a similar amount in your 401k every month. And as the market goes up, you have more and more shares or you have more and more investments. But when the market goes down, which it does on occasion, you end up with more shares and do better longer term. So let's say you're saving $1,000 a month. Right. And one month the market's up 10%, and then the next month the market's up 5%. What is your average cost of those two months is $7.50. Sure. Right. So you're just averaging the cost of your share price you know, as the market fluctuates as you're contributing. But what happens with reverse dollar cost averaging is when you take dollars out. So let's say that 
the market drops, I, I use this example a lot because it's really easy. If the market drops 50%, you need a 100% rate of return to get your money back, right? Sure. So if the market drops 50% and you're taking money from your overall portfolio to purchase any types of goods and services, you need more money than 100% return to get your money back. You need 100% plus whatever dollar that you took out of the overall account. So it's very difficult to get caught back up. Saving money in a volatile market is your best friend. Taking distributions in a volatile market can hurt you. That's why we talk so much about you know, creating a retirement income strategy. It's completely different than a saving strategy. So hopefully that can clear things up there. Okay. Diane's emergency fund is equivalent to a year's of expenses that is separate from her well-diversified stock portfolio. She concluded that if her portfolio returns an average of 7% over 35 years, even if her emergency fund was depleted, they wouldn't run out of money until age 100. With that in mind, why reduce stock allocation? Conventional wisdom suggests the 60-40 or 50-50 stock bond split. But if you're investing for the long term, stocks win in the longest possible term is lifetime. Would you try to talk her off the ledge? So he's saying that he, she's got enough cash reserves to, to cover, fund her every year. No, he's not yeah. saying that. Yeah. Her emergency fund is equivalent to a year of expenses that is separate from her well-diversified portfolio. If her emergency fund was depleted, they would run out of money until age. Well, how does he know that they won't run out of money until age 100? Well, I think he's assuming a 7%. You know how people assume it's 7% every year? Yeah, it's, it's not. It's not. It's that's, an average. That's what we that's just... the problem. <laughs> that's why you have a little more safety when you start withdrawing from your accounts. Because if you're taking dollars out in the down market, you're not going to average 7%. It's going to be something significantly less than that. Yeah, because think about the market goes down and you're taking money out. How do you recover from that? Right. So now, you, you, let's say you're averaging 7%. So people think, okay, I'm going to average 7%. So I can take 7% from my portfolio because 7% growth, I'm going to just take the growth. Yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah. So right, how about the market's down seven and you take seven? Now you're down 14. Now what do you do? It takes, it's now, hard to catch up. Yeah. Now you need what? Uh, 40 some odd percent rate of return just to get your money back. You don't need a 14% rate of return. If you're down 25% and you earn 25% the next year, you're still not square one. Right. If you lose 25%, you need to earn a lot more than 25% because it's on a lower dollar value. That again is called reverse dollar cost averaging. It's reverse compounding. Compounding, when you save, it's money growing on top of itself. When you're taking money, it has the reverse effect. So you've got to be careful when you're taking money from a portfolio and whatever assumptions that you're making. Hello, Joe, Alan, Andy. It's Brian from Queens, New York for the third write-in. Right. Ooh, a little taking advantage of us. But it's been a while as you answered my first and second questions on podcast 275 and 303. I continue to listen every week. Got to tune in because never know what Joe might say next. <laughs> oh, jeez. I don't know how to take that. Yeah. <laughs> it could be a dig or it could be a compliment. <laughs> Use your imagination. <laughs> a couple of digs today. <laughs> Never got to these important details. Um, I drive a 2012 Honda Odyssey minivan with 90,000 miles on it. Wife, two young kids, and in-laws. 
the midlife red convertible and baseball cap just doesn't cut it. And my go-to drink is Jack and Coke. Got a lot of Jack and Coke people out there. Same too. Yeah. Not going to ask about the Megatron barnyard backdoor rules. Just spitballing here. Cool. All right. So it's chilling in the 2012 Honda Odyssey minivan. Yeah. Can't do the convertible. Sounds like he wants to. Then. That's what you have. That's what I used to have when I went through my midlife <laughs> When crisis. you had your midlife <laughs> <laughs> which is about your age now. So I expect to see you any day in a red convertible. Oh, <laughs> uh, but my first question, uh, you guys had Paul Merriman on the show. Yeah. Like that 400 was, years ago. Well, <laughs> that was when Al was in the, it was midlife crisis. Yeah. I don't even remember those days. <laughs> I, I learned from him that having a 10 to 20% portfolio and a small cap value, trying to search for the extra half a percent to 1% gain over a lifetime can do wonders for a portfolio. I did not have any small cap value and didn't know it was the best asset class historically up until very recently. The only small cap I have is just the small weighted portion of the total stock market index funds that I own. So now does it make sense to do this? <clears throat> I'm 45 years old, uh, making $120,000 a year as a school teacher. Also expect about an $80,000 pension at age 55. I contribute to and max out my 403B, Roth 457, and backdoor Roth IRA. Hoping to continue to max out until retirement eligibility, including the 50-year catch-up rule. These accounts currently total about $725,000. The 403B and 457 do not have small cap value options. So as I make the contributions to the 403B, 457 of about $4,000 a month out of my paycheck invested in the total market S&P and mid cap index funds in 7% into the fixed account. Does it make sense to do an exchange of my total market index fund in my Roth IRA for the same $4,000 per month over the next few years and dollar cost averaging the small cap value index fund until I reach the 20 or 10% overall uh, threshold in my portfolio. Okay. How much does he have in the Roth IRA? He's got everything in 725. Well, yeah, it doesn't say 725 is the total. Total. So he wants to get to 70 to $140,000 in small cap value. Right. Yeah. It's 10 to 20%. I also recently started a taxable brokerage account and had the Fidelity Mutual Fund version of the total market index fund, but sold that and bought the ETF iShare equivalent for the following reasons. <laughs> My second question, for the following reason, and then so the following reason goes it, into a second a qu- question. question. I'll read it and we'll figure it out. Yeah, I just feel like, yeah, naked here. Something. <laughs> Okay, my second question. Is it true for better tax efficiency, it is more beneficial to hold ETFs in a taxable brokerage account than regular mutual funds because there is less of a short-term and long-term capital gain and dividend distributions? Can you explain this? Thanks always for all the terrific information, Brian. Brian's getting in the weeds. Yeah, well, let's start with the first question. He's trying to eke out a little bit more return. Um, So Paul Merriman's a big fan of small cap value. Sure. And so if you look at small cap value are small companies that are underpriced, that means they're distressed of some sort. 
So if you take a smaller company that has a lot of risk, that is underpriced because it could be distressed for some reason or out of favor, it has a lot more room to grow. So the expected return of that particular asset class is higher than, let's say, a large company growth stock that is already built and producing you know, goods and services that is in a very strong industry, let's say. Yeah. And the rate of return has to be higher because otherwise who would invest in it? You, why would right? you take the risk? Why not? If it's the same return, let's go with the strong company. Exactly. But the risk premium is what they call it. doesn't happen every year. You have to buy the overall asset class and hold it for a long period of time. And over a long period of time, historically, smaller companies have outperformed larger companies. Is that saying that that will continue to happen? It, it should, but who knows what, you know, growth companies have outperformed, small companies have gotten hammered, but then they come back, value companies over growth and so on. There's large debates, but the academics say that value will outperform growth because there's more risk in value type companies and smaller companies will outperform large companies because there's more risk. So Brian here, a buddy from Queens says, I want to load up on this small cap value. I want to get a little catnip. Right. 10, right? 10 or 20% of the portfolio. Yeah, that's a little rich. Goodness. But he's 45 years old and he's going to have a huge pension. So sure. what the hell? I would put 20% of my portfolio in small cap value right now. But if he doesn't have the 140000 in the Roth, well, then yeah. then you, But I wouldn't necessarily dollar cost average and say, hey, I'm going to take this from that and do whatever. I would reorganize my portfolio to what it should look like today and make those trades today and then move on. I agree with that. And the thing is, I mean, if, if you go back the last 100 years, small cap value has outperformed you know, the total stock market, particularly larger companies, by a factor of two or three, sometimes more percentage on an average annual compounded basis. So not only is it good to own them anyway, just because of the higher potential rate of return, the last decade, that has not been the case. In fact, larger companies have done better. There's something called reversion of the mean, which means there's probably more opportunity anyway in smaller in value. So you would wanna go ahead and invest it and in all the money that you can put in it up to 20% of your portfolio Go ahead and do it now. I agree with that. Yeah, I would just reallocate to whatever your allocation is. We are not recommending people to go into any particular investment, any type of asset class. Yeah, that's true. And, he and is asking to say, hey, I want to put 20% into this particular it, asset class. We explained why that asset class is popular right? and why Paul Merriman likes it. Yes. Um, but we are not recommending that. No, we're not. And 20% is might be a little rich because that's a pretty good allocation. <clears throat> But um, I've got forty-five. I've got small cap value in my portfolio, and I'm older, and I I will always because it's a it's a great asset class. Yeah. So there you go. ETFs. Yeah. ETFs and index funds are almost identical. It's just how they're created and structured. ETFs were really created to trade for like the big institutions because they trade like stocks. Um, mutual funds trade at net asset value. I think you're getting way into the weeds here. Um, you have a brokerage account that you're just starting and you're changing the index fund into an ETF. If you look at the distributions on both of those, it's going to be almost identical. Pretty similar, right? Because an index fund is not trading. And an ETF still has to reconstitute the ETF as well. And that's when an index fund trades is that if they're stocks that come out of the index, so like the S&P 500, right? There's roughly 500 companies within, but it's not the same 500 companies. Some of them fall out of favor. Some of them you know, come in. And so they have to reconstitute to make sure that the index is pure. 
And so that's when those trades happen. So there's not a ton of, if you're in an actively managed mutual fund, that's when you get more dividend distributions. That's when you get interest and that's when you get turnover and that's when you get capital gains and so on and so forth. So if you have an index mutual fund versus an ETF in the same index, you're not necessarily going to get killed in the overall taxes. But yes, histor- I mean, overall on a high level, ETFs are more tax efficient uh, than mutual funds. Make sure the asset classes you hold in your investment portfolio are appropriate for your retirement goals and your tolerance for risk, especially when markets are volatile. Go to the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click get an assessment to schedule a comprehensive assessment of your entire financial plan with one of the experienced professionals on Joe and Big Al's team at Pure Financial Advisors. Pure Financial is a fee-only financial planning firm and they're a fiduciary. That means they're not going to sell you investment products and by law, they have to act in the best interest of their clients. There's no cost and there's no obligation. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app, then click get an assessment to schedule your one-on-one video meeting at a date and time that works for you. Sharon, a good friend from Waukesha, yep. Wisconsin, uh, writes back in. Hello, Joe, Big Allen, Andy. I was interested in your thoughts on the role of the stable value fund in my retirement portfolio. What if Sharon just kind of sits around and all of a sudden thinks stable value fund. You know what? I think I'm going to email Big, she, Big Al. <laughs> she, she saw some kind of internet ad. Ooh, that's a, a good one. Oh, just retiring on 1231 and my 401k plan offers a stable value fund. It pays zero fees. And with the fund, uh, purchase fee, redemption fee, 12B1 fee equals none. Uh, returns have been 6.71% since inception uh, in 1997, 0.5% return for the last one, three, five, and 10 years. Okay. Is that 0.5 or uh, I guess, or is it 5%? 5%? Is that a period? I don't know what that is, but maybe <laughs> it's either 5% or I think 0.5. it's 5% because I think the period actually goes with the end of the sentence before yeah, that's in 1997, I period. I, I believe it's five. Yeah. I just retired and plan to roll my 401k into an IRA. However, I'm planning to leave some money in the stable value fund with my existing 401k. Would it be wrong to think of the money in the stable value fund as part of an overall bond allocation with a historical 5% rate of return? What is wrong in making this asset a major part of my bond portfolio? I currently have 60 stock, 40% bond. Uh, do you have any guideline on percentage of the overall retirement portfolio uh, to exist within a stable value fund within my 401k? So what do you think about stable value fund? <laughs> How many times are you going to stay stable value fund? Uh, <laughs> wants to make sure we don't mess it up. Got it. It seems else. like this fund could also serve as an emergency safety net um, while still getting returns in the market. Thoughts? Uh, thanks for all you do. Sharon, Waukesha. Uh, Waukesha. Waukesha. Uh, stable value for 5% return, Al. That's a, that's a pretty decent return. That's almost hard to believe, it, but uh, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to question it. It seems it's, it's a great return if that's real. All right. In, in general, the stable value fund is basically a wrapper of, of bonds, right? It's a bond portfolio. And then there's like an insurance wrapper around it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like a mutual fund of bonds. So it is, it is a bond. So you can count it as a bond in your portfolio. It just has insurance in there so that you can, you can't lose principal, which in general tends to lower the rate of return because there's a cost of paying for insurance inside this mutual fund. Right. I wonder, I mean, I remember a long time ago that 
we were using some of these funds, but I don't know if it was stable value, but there was another type of like floating rate. That's what it was. Okay. Well, floating rate funds Got it. Um, that you could get a little bit of a kicker in the overall return that was supposed to be, you know, safe, but a 5% rate of return. If you take a look at bond yields right now, I mean, they're pretty low. Yeah. They're going to be closer to two. Right. Right. <laughs> or less. <laughs> So, I mean, if this, I, I have no idea what Sharon's stable value fund is, is made up of. Um, it's in her 401k plan. Uh, there's multiple types of yeah, stable value different funds. funds and they're all a little different, but the, the idea is the investment itself. Think of it as like a mutual fund that goes out and buys bonds. And so you got a portfolio of bonds, right? In your mutual fund. And then there's insurance so that if the bonds go down in value, you don't lose money. That, that's, I think that's the idea behind this type of fund. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Do you see any harm with her? No, especially if it's making 5% <laughs> and it's got guaranteed no loss of principal. It, it seems a little too good to be true. So I guess, um, Sharon, maybe I would just check your facts to make sure this is really true. Okay. Mike writes in from San Diego. He goes, hey. A husband and wife are both 84 and taking RMDs. Husband dies in 2021 and wife identifies his accounts as inherited IRAs. Okay. Instead of rolling them into her accounts. So the spousal rollover sure. is what he's referring to. Right. So you can keep it in husband's name and be the beneficial owner of those. Or a spouse has the opportunity to roll those into her name. Yeah. And by the way, that's only for spouses. If you're a kid, nephew, whatever friend that you inherited, you can't do this. Only spouses. Yeah. It will blow you up. I mean, if you try to take, um, let's say if you inherited from your father, grandfather, nieces, or nephew, and you try to put in your own name, that's a hundred percent distribution, fully taxable. Yep. No bueno. Reason why people want to keep it in the deceased's name is for really one reason is that if they were under 59 and a half, they would have full access to the dollar. Sure, if they need it. If they need it. <clears throat> um, otherwise, it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense to keep it in the deceased's name. You could just roll it into yours because let's say if you have um, a lot older spouse, okay? And you kept it in the deceased's name and then you don't need necessarily need the cash, right? And so the money can continue to defer. And then you would have to take a required minimum distribution based on the deceased age. So the money would be forced out at their age of 70 and a half or 72 and so on and so forth. All of these rules change with the secure act, right? Because now there's different tables because the RMD or the, the, the beneficiary IRA uh, doesn't have the stretch provision anymore. You got to distribute the account within 10 years. And I'm guessing that's where this question's going. We'll see. Okay. In January, 2022, the wife's RMD from her account are calculated by using the factor of 16 based on her age of 85 this year. The RMD of the inherited IRA calculated by using a different table. And therefore the factors 8.1 is used because of her age 85 this year. Can the wife somehow change the identification of the decedent's IRAs from inherited to her own so the RMDs of her IRA and her late husband's IRA will be calculated using the factor only instead of using her factor for her accounts 
in the higher factor for the inherited accounts. So what he's saying is that the amount of money that has to come out of the inherited IRA is a lot more than the factor that has to come out of her IRA right? because um, of the new RMD tables. Okay. Um, she doesn't need all that money each month and worries about having to pull so much money out of her late husband's account. It's been more than 60 days since his IRA became her inherited IRA. And she is scheduled to receive her first RMD from the inherited IRAs in the middle of February. Is this guy a CPA? <laughs> I was wondering when he referred to somebody as a decedent. That's that's a giveaway. Right. And so, then he knows the 60 day rule. He, well, or he's, he's looking at the factor of 16 or he's he's an advisor. He's got a client. What do I say? Let's see how they answer it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, or maybe let me try to stump them. <laughs> That's true, too. Um, I don't know. Let's see. I do know. I mean, the, the thing that it, I guess by default, it's an inherited IRA, but you can change it to your own IRA anytime you want. There's no time frame. So, yeah, yeah, you can. She can change it now. She could change it in two, three years from now. It doesn't really matter. You're 100 percent sure on that. I looked it up. Got it. <laughs> All right. Cool. That's big out for you. But Mike, you know, just come out clean. <laughs> Say, Mike, this is Mike. I work for XYZ advisory firm. Correct. And we, we didn't know the answer. <laughs> and I don't know the answer to this. And my clients, um, we got until February to figure, figure I, this out. So I thought I'd just write, write and in I, all and the I, answer. And I Googled it and couldn't get it. Couldn't get it. So I thought Big Al would help. Me. There you go. <laughs> all right. Uh, D from Irvine. Dear Joe and Al, I'd love the show and listen weekly. I recently was introduced to the executive bonus plan, section 162 for businesses. This is a non-qualified plan worth the investment for the employer in, is it good for the employee? Seems just like another whole life insurance plan to me. Uh, when would this option make sense? Steve from Irvine, the drink of choice, Jack and Coke. All right. D. <laughs> and then uh, the car is the Chevy Volt. So section 162, um, I had to look that up, but I got it here. I know what that is. Okay. Um, basically right. what it is, it's, it, it, it's a plan that it's a bonus plan. So let's say that I'm a small business and Alan, you are my employee and I want to lure you to come work for me at Joey Anderson's pet shop. Oh, and you want me to be an executive too. <laughs> yes. That's really nice. Yes. You're going to be my CFO. Okay. Got it. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking about, all right, well, how else can I compensate Big Al? And I'm going to put together a life insurance plan. Sure. So we're going to buy a big, fat, whole life policy or maybe a variable universal life policy. And then I'm going to give you a bonus every year. And But that bonus is not going to go into your pocket. The bonus is going to go to fund the life insurance contract. And Here's how it's sold is that basically I'm going to give you the bonus, right? It's compensation. You don't receive the compensation, but it's going to grow 100% tax deferred in this overall plan. And then when you retire, you can pull the money out tax-free. And oh, by the way, if you were to pass away, right, prior to your retirement date, guess what? Your heirs get a big fat life insurance uh, proceeds. Sure. Yeah. I you want to come work for me? Uh, if that's the only reason, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a benefit 
for you, the executive, it's a, it's a life insurance policy and it's a bonus, but it's, you don't have to pay taxes on it. That, that's how it works. So you just get, this is if you, if you want this without uh, having to pay compensation. However, the, the, <laughs> the employee is, it's, it's tax. It's a bonus. I don't think so. Yes, for sure. With hundred <laughs> percent. And so what, uh, what they, what they do is that they'll double bonus you. So I'm going to bonus you 20,000, but I'm actually going to bonus you 40,000 because the other 20 will help pay the tax on the $20,000 bonus because it's comp. It's a bonus. And that bonus is not paid to you as cash. It goes into the policy. Then the policy grows tax deferred. And then, you know, then they're using it as a quasi retirement plan and you can get the money out tax-free on the other end, only if it's a qualified distribution. So there's a lot of things that have to happen. And I've already gone on several rants and raids, you know, in regards to using life insurance as an overall investment strategy, life insurance should be used as a death benefit. I'm not a huge fan of this unless you absolutely overfund the hell out of it, which I don't think most employers do. Most employees don't stay at the same company for that long. So if they're going to bounce and leave in five years, they're going to take the policy with them and they're going to cash the thing out. And there's going to be, and all of that's for none. So I don't know. Okay. I'm not a huge fan of the 162. Got it. And I will defer to you because I am clearly out of my comfort zone. Okay. Maybe you're out of your comfort zone when it comes to your retirement. Maybe you know how to get there, but you aren't taking the action to meet the goals. Studies show we often have a disconnect between the realities we'll face in retirement and our actions to deal with those realities. Watch the YMYW TV episode, Retirement Disconnect, and download the Retirement Disconnect Guide, both in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. You'll learn about retirement disconnects that can quickly unravel your retirement and how to reconnect and start getting your retirement back on track. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes, read the transcript of today's episode, ask Joe and Big Al your money questions on air, and get your retirement reconnected. Um, we get interesting comments that we sometimes do. Yeah, kind of flown in here. Sure, and, some, and sometimes you read them. Yeah, interesting show this week. Juan, he's a staple of the show. Um, because another top-notch episode, Joe playing injured while coming off the COVID list. Al protecting Joe from the real... Imitation ninja. Imitation ninja. I thought that's a limitation. I was like, why is the ninja limited? <laughs> um, as well, once played Chuck Norris, stunt double. And as always, Andy, saving the best for last. Pun completely intended. Control the chaos while keeping it classy. Ah, Juan, he always comes up with something creative. He liked sure. that. He liked that show, I guess. When at COVID, came yeah, off the COVID list. Yeah, you were you were playing hurt. Yeah, that's and you, what I knew. And you and you got through it. It's just not like these youngsters nowadays. Al, <laughs> I got a little sniffle. Can't come in for a week. <laughs> um, I got an interesting email here. It goes, Joe, you might not remember me, but we hooked up one night in Atlanta. Ooh, this could get steamy. <laughs> sure you want to read this? <laughs> I lived in Atlanta, Georgia. I know. That's why I'm thinking this is like last, 20 last, years ago. Last from your past. 20 some odd years ago, right? <laughs> um, yeah, what yeah, it's been 20 years. Uh, more than that. While we were talking, talking. <laughs> that's probably in quotes. <laughs> that's what it says. While we were talking, you mentioned the importance of diversifying investments. 
So when I started investing into IRA accounts, I set up a new account each month to put the money into. Okay. That's pretty pretty good smart move there. Set a new account <laughs> up every month. Every month. Because you got to diversify. You got to diversify. <laughs> so let's just keep got setting it. up accounts. Yeah. All right. Um, I always put the money into Sears stock, but it hasn't been doing very well lately. So I'd like to transfer all of it into GameStock, uh, which I've heard good things about. The problem is, since I now have over 200 accounts, it's going to take a long time and effort to get them all transferred. Is there an easier way to do this than having to manually transfer all of them? They are all with Vanguard, but I'm not finding any better options than just manually doing it. Wow. 200 accounts. What the? (laughs) This is so strange. (laughs) So you got a couple shares of Sears in each one? Could you imagine? Could you absolutely (laughs) imagine having someone come into the office and saying, here, I opened up a new account. Paperwork. Right. Every time I made a contribution Here, into Sears stock. I, I want to hire you to manage my assets. We just got a little problem here. There's 200 <laughs> accounts that need to be transferred. My out. mailbox is full <laughs> every week of account statements. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, I wonder if uh, Vanguard would consolidate since it's all the same investment. I don't know. I wonder if that's even possible. I don't know. Never heard of anyone doing this. <laughs> well, Helen did. <laughs> Um, I've got nine cats in a neurotic, paranoid beagle. Okay. I drive a 97 Toyota Prius and live in Portland. I've signed this Helen Wheels since you sang that song to me at the karaoke bar because my name is Helen. Since you never called me after that night, I hope you will be willing to make it up to me by helping me out with my situation. Wow. Yeah, you didn't call her back. <laughs> yeah, we're singing karaoke. <laughs> or karaoke. Did you say karaoke or karaoke? Yeah. Karaoke. Andy? Karaoke. Karaoke? <laughs> karaoke. Yes. Karaoke? You say karaoke? I don't know. Tomato? Tomato? Give me that. <laughs> Hello, but I love the fact that you hooked up with somebody and then talked to her about diversifying her investments. That might explain why you're still single. <laughs> it that- could be. Yeah, you know, we're just... Was that before or after you hooked up? <laughs> I have, I don't know who Helen Wheels is. I, I would... Re- nine cats, a paranoid dog, drives a Prius. Yeah, but that was... That, yeah, this is, so the hookup was a long time ago. This is how Helen is now. A different animals. Yeah, well, this different. is what I did to Helen. <laughs> right. She had to move to Portland and get a bunch of cats. <laughs> Because you never called her back. <laughs> never called her back. And I'm she sorry, had to manage Helen. her 200 accounts. Yes, I am so sorry about this situation. Um, yeah, the, it would be good to see Helen. Do you, you have a good karaoke voice? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> He's much better as a dancer, I think. Yes. Oh, I'm I, not a singer. I'm a dancer. I will vouch for that. Yeah. These hips don't lie, Al. I've seen you dance, Michael Jackson, for an hour straight thinking, when is this going to end? (laughs) I got a routine. I I, I, I practice it in the mirror. It it actually was really good. Yeah. I was dancing one time at a little party. This one guy goes, there's no way he doesn't practice that. (laughs) 
<laughs> it just comes naturally. It does. To you. Yeah. Right. You get a, yeah. You get a nice little music and you start dancing. I'm sure a lot of people like that. Not too many that yeah. I know. Uh, all right. Well, hey, keep your questions coming in. Go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Click on Ask Joe and Al on the air. If you want to leave a voicemail like um, a lot of you are now doing, I really appreciate that. Um, do that. If you want to send us an email, you can do that there. You can go to our website at yourmoneywealth.com. There's many, many ways to get a hold of us. And we truly appreciate you writing in because it's a lot of fun to kind of go through your questions and hopefully we can help a couple of people along the way. Uh, it, you know, honestly, if you want a full financial plan here, I mean, a lot of people give us like eight pages of stuff. <laughs> true. We go through them all. We try. And we will um, do our best to kind of spitball you know, whatever solutions that make sense for a conversation. Yeah, we like the spitball. And it's just just that. It's spitballing. It's not advice. It's just kind of, here's our quick thoughts based upon what you told us. Yeah, absolutely zero advice. <laughs> All right, that's it for us. Appreciate you hanging out once again. Uh, Andy, wonderful job. Thank you. Thank you. And um, yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Show's called Your Money or Wealth. Joe's reading, Al's midlife crisis, listeners we haven't heard from in a while, and gambling, all in the derails at the end of the episode, so stick around. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call us at 888-994-6257 and schedule a free financial assessment at a date and time convenient for you, no matter where you are in the country. Chances are one of the experienced financial professionals at Pure will be able to identify strategies to help you create a more successful retirement. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. I'm telling you, I'm a terrible reader and I don't know why I read these each and every week it's because it's entertaining it's awful i just make an ass out of myself every week and then jim here is like well let me write in but i'm gonna get him do three four sentences super, that's it super brief uh appreciate not, not that, telling jim. you what i drink what car i got yeah. where i live yeah let's just get Forget right it. to it that's what i used to have when i went through my midlife, <laughs> when you had your midlife? <laughs> which is about your age now so i expect to see you any day in a red convertible <laughs> Uh, did that make you feel better? Oh, wait. And I got the baseball cap. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful stuff. It was, did you feel like, like Tom Selleck? It was I mean, 42 kind of degrees and I had the top down, the heat all the way up, parka. <laughs> it was, it was you awesome. Were, you were one of the guys that had the top down with the windows up and the heat on. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> Only in the summer I put the windows down. Oh. So it changed your life. It, it, the, oh, mid, the midlife was. I'm, I've got my Zen now because of it. I went through that period. I survived. How long did it take you to get through it? 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, you guys had Paul Merriman on the show. Yeah, like that 400 was, years ago. That, that was, was when ep- Al- episode one. <laughs> that was when Al was in the heat of his midlife crisis. Yeah, I don't even remember those days. I would show up to the show with his baby hair. Went straight back. He was freezing. I was like, why are you so cold? I finally pulled out my parka when the stu- was after the heat kicked in in the studio. <laughs> uh, uh,
for the following reason, and then so the following reason goes it's into a, a second qu- question. question. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, maybe forgot about the following reason. We've left hanging. I think the I reason is explained like, in his question. I'll read it and we'll figure it out. Yeah, I just feel like, yeah, make it something. <laughs> it's like my list. Ten items for a better you, and we only got through eight of them, and they were out of order. Oh, all screwed up for the week. <laughs> Whatever happened to our, our our guy that plays up in Newport Beach? I have not heard from. Uh, oh, that's yeah, right, Paul, right. Paul Lemire. Yes, I have not okay. heard from him since. I, I think we skid him away. Paul, write in. Tell us how you're doing. Yeah, we got a lot of people that used to write in. You know, we got Jim from Santa Cruz, just this right staple, right. No. We haven't heard from Batman in a while, too. Batman's questions are <laughs> something else. I just like to listen to you read them. Got it. Yeah, it's like opportunity zones. and Right. <laughs> Jack wants to know if the 49ers should keep Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> have an opinion? I like Jimmy G. You? Don't have an opinion. Do you even know who the 49ers are? Yeah, San Francisco. <laughs> I, I can go that far. I do know they were not in the Super Bowl. No. But they were close. They were close. Yeah. You watched a little bit of the playoffs there? You watched the Super Bowl? Yeah, the whole Super Bowl. The whole Super Bowl. I, I, won, um, I won three out of the four um, quarters for the pool. Oh, yeah. You, you bought some squares? Yeah. Ten bucks? Uh, they were two bucks each. <laughs> oh, high roller. But I, I ended up, I, I put in 20 and I walked away with 180. Ooh. Pretty good. That's huge. Even though... Don't gamble, kids. Bad for you. <laughs> uh, what's that, a TSA? Um, 